From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in Vital, Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark LaCroix, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are debug functionality and polish. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. Well... Well, indeed. I feel like it's been a little while since we've done a roundtable. It has been a while. Yeah. I'm not going to check. <laughs> well, right. No. We don't do that. I mean, it might have been a while since we've recorded one. Mm, yeah. Listener, you may have a different experience. True. Um, but as a result, we have a bunch of things to talk about at the top of the show. Think news in our lives. Mm-hmm. We're trying to make it quick. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, since we had a lot of an opportunity to talk about stuff, um, I, I did a big uh, update to Noble Engine, the Ooh. Playdate Ooh. game engine that I make. It's an open source project. Um, you can check it out, github.com slash noblerobot slash noblengine, mm-hmm. or you can just search Noble Engine. It's starting to creep up there in the results for that. Cool. Uh, there is a motorcycle called, that is like, the phrase Noble Engine appears a lot when talking about motorcycles. Oh, really? It's a brand, or it's like a part or something. Yeah. I don't know why I don't know this exactly, but <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I would see that. Yeah. Anyways, um, but yeah, hmm. the um, the project has been kind of like on the backseat for a long time, just because I I don't have time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, somebody, uh, um, what's nice is that there's folks in the community uh, who are using it who also submit fixes and feature suggestions. And Noble Engine, it's I have a pretty strong feeling about how it should it should be discoverable through code. And one of the problems I have with open source projects is. Once you want to learn how they work, you go in and it's kind of spaghetti in there. Yeah. And like that's kind of out of necessity, right? Sure. Like it's got to work, right? Mm-hmm. And also if you're having a lot of people working on a project um, and you don't have a real big sort of like a bunch of, you know, um, managers, you know, kind of organizing. Right, it, right. Um, you're going to have a lot of like different things that don't make sense to each other and no one person knows how it all works. Mm-hmm. And th- this project is not big enough, I think, for that to be allowable, I think. So when people submit feature requests or updates... Um, I make sure that their code works and then I go through and I conform it yeah. for uh, style and formatting and naming convention in particular so that mm-hmm. people who want to know how it works uh, won't get lost when they reach that point. Yeah. Um, and what that means is, and, and I, I like to think it's a service for the people who submit things because it means they don't need to worry about it being it, like the code being neat. They don't have to worry about documentation. Like I handle all of that. Once a project gets bigger, then it, then I have to write contributor guides and, 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 people have to write their own documentation because mm-hmm. it'll be too big for me to manage. And it'll also become too um, burdensome from me on contributors, right? If it, Right now, it's mostly just me acting as a, this works, okay, great, I will just, you know, tidy it up. Yeah. Um, and that, that's important to me. I don't need it to be important to anybody else yet. But uh, that's the preface to say that somebody submitted a pretty big feature update um, that... Um, uh, I had always been on my list, and I talked to this person about it before, and I said, you know, if you want to take a crack at it, I would really appreciate it, and then I can take it and I can kind of bring it past the finish line. Yeah. And so they did. They, what they, it's the transition system. So in Noble Engine, you, uh, there's a scene management uh, life cycle, which I'm really proud of the way that works. And that's kind of its one big sort of like differentiator in terms of like how you'd want to organize a project. Mm-hmm. Um, but the transitions, uh, I have this list of transition types, you know, just effect, like, you know, uh, uh, crossfades and wipes. Uh, sure, yeah. We don't have a star wipe, but we have a lot of fun ones. Okay. And that is really just a big, you know, switch block. Like, which transition are they using? Use this code to, you know, it. animate it or sure. whatever. Yeah. And that was always a stopgap solution. If you wanted to do a custom one, you would you could literally just go in and hack it in there. No mm. problem. It was doable. Okay. But it was not part of the, 
expectation expected use of the of the engine. Sure. So um, this person submitted um, a, a a pull request that broke out all of the pieces of logic of all the different existing ones mm-hmm. into their own classes, mm. and then uh, came up with a way for basically a way for you to add new ones. Okay. And cool. so that it's a huge huge rearchitecting yeah. of the way that works. Yeah. And so they and I'd always been meaning to do it, but I could just never get it started. So they got it started for me, which was great. Mm-hmm. But what I meant is that when I got it, I did actually need to make a lot of substantive changes. Mm-hmm. So I worked with them to sort of make that uh, yeah. changes, and then they are, they were also like, "Please make it better." So <laughs> like I wasn't stepping on their toes. It was a, it was a it was a good process, but yeah. it ended up that I ended up doing a lot of work that I've been putting off, mm-hmm. but I sort of needed the kick, okay. and, and that's what I got with this pull request. Anyway, what that means now is that um, you can now just write your own transition type. It, it's a, a documented API. You create a, you know, this is what happens in an update loop where, during the transition. Mm-hmm. This is logic that happens when the transition is halfway through. Like all that stuff is you can write your own and just plug it in. So when you want to make a transition, you just feed it the custom one you made. Boom, it works. You can get the star wipe now. You can get the star wipe <laughs> if so you desire. <laughs> and I don't have to give it to you, right? right. You can make it yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm really happy with it. Um, I didn't prepare any kind of like blog posts or the, 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 there's, we still don't have versioning. Um, mm. We don't have releases. It's still, I would still call it pre-release. Mm. But we're getting to that point now where it's like, I mean, it's it been in a lot of games, a couple of shipped games on, yeah. on the related catalog. So cool. it's probably time to have a release structure, give it a, a 1.0 or, or a sure. 0.9 or whatever I want to call it. Yeah. I just, I need to sit down and do that. So still not giving it all the time it deserves, but I got a big update here and being pushed along by folks who have been contributing um, has been a really good way to sort of get me back on the on it for a couple of days. In this mm-hmm. case, like two weeks, but <laughs> more than I really expected. Yeah, but that was fine. I haven't talked about it on the show yet. So yeah, cool. Um, if you want to make games for Playdate, uh, check it out. And if you don't have a Playdate yet, uh, no worries. The Playdate Simulator, that's part of the SDK that Panic ships, is really good. It's a great way to test. You can use a controller to to sort of pretend you're using the crank with an analog stick. Nice. And you can kind of you can design a whole game and you can ship a whole game without even owning the hardware. It's um you know. But also, oh, it's a pretty cool thing. You I think work. we used that in a game jam last year uh, at, at Future Club. Yeah? I think we did. And the, yeah, I remember it going pretty well. The the Playdate Simulator? I think. You weren't on I, the team that did it then. because you. I was not on the team, yeah. But no. one of the teams in the in a internal jam. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so like, I mean, it's, that's proof that it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are, I mean, I guess they're not as scarce as they used to be. You can, mm. get, you can get your hands on one. Yeah. Um, but if you're just, if you want to try it out before buying a piece of hardware... Um, it's the, it's the, you know, there's no other console that you can like test out in the development environment before owning it. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. So that's, that's my one, one of my pieces of news. The other one is I went to MDev, uh, last week, uh, from where we're sitting. Yeah. It'll be a couple weeks, uh, since, uh, when you folks heard this or hearing this. Um, it's a one day conference in Madison, a uh, little uh, Midwest dev conference. Uh, I gave a talk there. Um, cool. And uh, it went really well. Um, I took a road trip up there with some of the uh, IDGA folks, uh, Beth, the chair of our local chapter, uh, and Scott, who's a developer in the community. The three of us went. Uh, it's a five-hour trip. We each took uh, short trips driving. It was very chill. We had a great time. It was a fun nice. trip. Nice. Um, That's good. Yeah. And uh, we drove up on Thursday night. Or actually, we left really early Thursday morning, which mm. is like early for me. It was terrible. But um <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we got there in the afternoon, and uh, Scott had is showing off uh, the game he's working on as part of the showcase there. Cool. Um, and so we needed to get hit there to set up. Mm. Then we had all evening, all Thursday to hang out with some people. We met up with some other folks that we knew and met some people we didn't. We got dinner, and then we took, uh, you know, got in early the hotel, and then the conference was all day Friday, yeah. and then at nine o'clock Friday night we drove home. Oh, so we didn't get home till like 
four o'clock in the morning. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh yeah. Oof. But it would save us the hundred bucks on another hotel night, and then like we didn't have to spend uh, like a, a you know a morning in Madison doing what? Like yeah. So yeah, yeah that's true. So we were you know, it ended up working out pretty well. We had a really we had a we had a fun time. It was a great little tiny little trip, and yeah. the, the the conference was fun. Um, as the IDGA chapter, we're interested in how other communities organize things. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little bit of a fact-finding thing, a little networking thing for us as the our organization. Cool. And that went pretty well. Beth did the legwork on most of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I gave a talk that I'm really, really pleased with. I'm going to try to get my hands on the recording, and maybe we'll be able to make it into an episode of the show. So uh, stay tuned for that if it's possible. Exciting. Don't quite know if it is yet. Okay. Um, but... Uh, yeah. If not, then I'll find a time to talk about it. I'll, yeah. I'll just make it an episode of the show later. Sure. Definitely. So stay tuned for that. Cool. 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 Ellen, you have even bigger news. Yes. Yeah. So I think I mentioned in a past episode that I moved to Duluth. If not, I moved to Duluth. <laughs> uh, it's a couple hours away from the cities. So like, you know, I'll still make fun of Minneapolis because I came from St. Paul, but like, mm-hmm. it's not my fight anymore, really. <laughs> um, it's true. I will say that <laughs> the roads here are worse than in St. Paul. That's you can imagine. Actually, that is yeah. true. I forgot about that. Man, right. I hate Duluth. Mm-hmm. Anyways, how, how bad could they be? Like, it's a good oh, well, it's really, it's really. Some of them are better. Some of them are really good, and then others are just like, what are you doing? This is basically hiking. You yeah. know, like <laughs> I need a jeep for this. Yeah. Um, and usually, like the roads in St. Paul are, I feel like, on average, about the same. But they're more within. I don't know how. There's a there's a lower standard deviation. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Duluth might have the same average, but the standard deviation is much higher. Right. So like, and they got hills up here Duluth all too, which is real bad. Oh yeah. Like yes. I I would I could never I could barely even visit because I would want to bike around. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I go, I want to rent or bring a bike. Yeah. And I well see the, those hills. <laughs> that they. They do have lots of bike lanes, and they, which I think they've put in since I was, because I lived here, you know, like ten years ago. I went to college here and lived here for a few years after that. Yeah. Um, I think Stephen, you and I might have figured out that we did overlap at one point, but yeah, like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the maybe. Exact time, but yeah. You might have been going to school when we were just living here and working here, so I don't know. Um, yeah, they uh, and like the roads that have bike lanes so far seem to be pretty good, mm-hmm. but like the side streets, oofta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna just step in about my theory on bike lanes, which is that when city planners put in bike lanes, yeah, they think about how nice it would be for these roads to have bike lanes, mm-hmm. but they don't generally think about how nice it would be from to get from one place to another. Oh no! So you talk about people who like to go like biking on the weekends, yeah, and they're like, oh, it's brilliant. You can get on a trail and you can bike right through the middle part of the city. It's fantastic. I'm like, mm-hmm. great, but what if you want to go somewhere? Right. <laughs> what yeah. if you want to get from point A to point B? Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely my experience in some big cities where it would just be like oh wow it's amazing um chicago is very much like this okay. when i was there recently yeah. i don't know if mentioned on the show like like they have these amazing thoroughfares and they have really good pedestrian bike um uh signage so okay. like it, it makes pedestrians and bikes not enemies of competing against cars that's good they have a couple unique innovations mm-hmm. and, and uh, i won't go into detail but that was really impressed by that but if you're if you're but if you're not on one of those main thoroughfares yeah it is like extremely dangerous and very very oh, car focused like not even enough shoulder for you to like claim mm. so you got to claim a lane and you you got to like fight for it oh my uh, which is what you have to do in a city yeah um and so i was i was i was then therefore overall not impressed sure. with, with that um but that's i mean you got to start somewhere though right mm-hmm. i suppose that's mm-hmm. true. i mean i could live in duluth if i never had to go up a block 
<laughs> Good luck. Because that's where the hills are. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I could just hills, go yeah. laterally in one direction on a, a one-dimensional city. Yeah. I could make that work. Mm-hmm. Well, the way to do it is to, you know, if you have your bike, mm-hmm. you take the bus up and down the hill. <laughs> okay. Throw your, bike okay. On the front, throw your bike on the front of the bus. Yeah. And you let the bus carry you up and down the hill. Yeah. And then you... Use your bike to, tra- you know, travel laterally uh-huh. along one point of elevation. Mm-hmm. Actually, not that's a bad, the way to do it. Not a bad plan. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, you'll find out because you got a you got a nice fast bike. That's true. I do. I have. I mean, it's it's approaching what it's like November thirteenth now, so uh-huh. it's kind of approaching. I would say it's approaching the time where you don't have to bike. But it was like fifty degrees today. It was like fifty fifty five. Yeah, that's totally in, that's totally bikeable, like mm-hmm. enjoyably. So. um yeah, I haven't really been since we've, you know, we haven't really been going anywhere. It's like, okay, work, unpack, work, go get groceries, work, unpack, go back to St. Paul and pack up the rest of the house and clean it so it can go on the market, come back, work, unpack, take my dad's dog to the emergency vet. The dog is fine. <laughs> like, it's just been, haven't really done a whole bunch of exploring. We've, we have done, we have found some discoveries though. So, like, oh. we have a really great park. Um, with like a nice stream with waterfalls running down it, like just a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a Topper's Pizza Joint. Oh, Topper. one block away. Yeah, Topper's yeah. Nice. And they they have an amazing. Oh, because it's college town, pizza. of course. Yep, yep. Yes, <laughs> that actually yep. makes so much. Folks sense. who know know. Yep. <laughs> so we uh, discovered they have first. They we really like their pizza. They have an amazing vegan pizza that's like it's like buffalo chicken. But it's vegan, so it's vegan cheese, it's vegan chicken, like, mm. and it's amazing. We really like that. We're not vegetarian. We are kind of like meat minimalists, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not going to go into because it, it's a whole thing. Uh, I don't know. Google it. You'll probably find some useful stuff. Um, <laughs> but like, we totally tried it. Now we we've had it like twice for dinner now because it's okay. so, just the vegan pizza. We like it. Yeah. Well, Stephen will take your word for um, it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I do eat like vegan stuff now, I guess, because I'm a changed man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's dig into this. Uh, well, because I've been so I've been ordering from this um, uh, uh, take home food take home place, and it's all vegan yeah. food. Um, and I am not always the best about eating the food that I get, which is uh, problematic uh-huh. too. But when I do eat it, it's good food, right? So like, I do enjoy the food. Uh-huh. So like, I don't know. I could. I'm not gonna be vegan. I'm not gonna be vegetarian. I like meat too much. But this is a nice subs- or additional source of vegetables that I need yeah. desperately. <laughs> so, I so think yeah. one thing one thing that can be tough is like if something is vegan, but it's like its own thing rather than a vegan substitute for something else. Yeah, yeah. I know that can be kind of a tripping point. Like, you know, it, if it's just vegan and it happens to be a vegan food, great. Right. You know, eat it. But like sometimes vegan substitute foods can yeah. fall short like drastically from the original. Yeah. It's why um, I don't like I don't look into like nut um alternatives because it's like I don't need that in my life. Yeah. Right. Just not eating yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's an audience of people who are becoming vegan. Mm-hmm. That that's for it's it's yeah. less than what they're used to. But they've, they're trying to not have the other right. thing. Right. Yeah. So for folks like you who are like, I'll eat vegan food. Why not? Mm-hmm. You, that why have that? The worst version of something you could just go get. Yeah. And if you're like yeah. like like Dale, who's been a vegetarian for a long time, and mm-hmm. a, a, you know a vegetarian alternative to a hamburger or whatever, yeah. which has been more popular now, right? She has no interest in that. Yeah. she doesn't want to replicate that thing. Right. She gave it up so long ago; she's not asking for it. Mm-hmm. So it's a smaller audience, 
uh, or a smaller of the potential audience types. Sure. Yeah. But it's kind of a huge audience of people potentially. Yeah, that's true. I right. So there's your toes into it. So like, you know, on a, on a macro level, like I see why that's a popular thing to make mm-hmm. um, because yeah. there's a lot of people who would, you know, that'd be four, right. If, if they're trying to make that move. Does make sense. Didn't think it, of it that way. I do feel like this this vegan pizza is not a sacrifice. It is <laughs> same tier. Right. It's also it's it that, remains bad for you. That's the important part. <laughs> right. Right. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, if you're ordering pizza to like, if you're ordering takeout pizza or delivery pizza, you're not looking at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something we've enjoyed. Um, the, the park. We've gone to a couple walks in that park. We've really liked them. Um, we had some deer visit our yard and eat some crab apples from our crab apple tree. Mm-hmm. I saw a fox yesterday. I realized she could just um, be making all this up and we have no way of checking. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a waterfall um, in this story. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. <laughs> yeah, but also um, you were early on, on, on Dolly. So, you know, there's a... <laughs> I'll send you I'll send you a selfie video. Okay. It would okay. be really hard to replicate. All right, cool. cool. Um a couple other things. So there is a Thursday night jazz night at um a bar called La Rathskeller. Jazz is, is like kind of big in Duluth, right? Yeah. So the um UMD campus, University of Minnesota Duluth, that that the music program there is very jazz oriented. Yeah. Um so and we Eric and I, my husband and I were both in the jazz bands when we were here in school i wasn't a major a music major at that time actually neither was he but uh he did get a music minor mm. i think <laughs> i know i tried and didn't yeah, sure. i didn't because i couldn't i could never make it to the recital hour it was like so early and mm. i was just like Ugh. yeah anyway so i you're really correct felt drastically. <laughs> you're correct yeah. to not go i felt it, it was such a minor requirement but it felt so huge anyway yeah. But yeah, so they have a lot of jazz players. I mean, the professors are involved in some of the community groups and playing out in the community, but also like a lot of the students will come out and play. And so we found this um, this bar called the Rathskeller, which is like a speakeasy kind of style. Like Ooh. it's in the old jail, townhouse jail. It's lots of bricks and okay. it's dark and cold. It's cool. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, they, students will come out and they have like two groups that alternate weeks. And so they're playing and we've been going there. We're going to try to go there. More frequently. Frequently. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Whenever Eric feels like he needs to heckle some kids, I guess. <laughs> so. That's probably pretty often, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, they, knowing he him. Gave him a hard time. <laughs> yeah. He gave him, I think we can leave it at that. Were, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gave him a hard time. They were pretty good sports about it, though. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah. Um, I got news, so, uh, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Steven's turn. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've been working on a deliverable. Um, we've been working with a potential publisher. Um, and, uh, we're getting to the point where we need to deliver something. It's coming at the end of this week, which, yeah. um, I don't, this will be, I guess I will have done it by the time this episode comes out. Um, I mean, God willing, God willing. <laughs> truly. <laughs> um, and we're, you know, it's, you know, it's the, it's the end of the, it's the end of the push, right? So we're just, we're, we're trying to get everything in that we can get in. And there's just a lot of things going on. Um, and there's been a lot of things that have been going on for the past like month. I'm talking vague because we haven't announced a lot of things yet. Yeah. Um, but. Basically, you know, I'm the only full-time programmer. And so, like, whenever new features need to get added, guess who they ask? No, it's not the creative director. It's me. <laughs> so, um, that's been, it's been kind of stressful getting all that stuff in. But we're kind of getting into a point where, like, we're mostly just bug fixing now. Yeah. Mostly. There's still a few things that we're still trying to add. Mm-hmm. But they're relatively minor for the most part. Well, it's, it sounds like you've been a little bit, like, you've gotten used to the the 
the rate of work. So it's not just more to do, right? Which yeah. is when it's it's uh you know things get a little tough when there's a deadline. Yes. But also, it sounds like there's more types of things you have to do. Right. Which makes each extra like half hour of labor that much more onerous. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 It's yeah. been difficult because like sometimes I'll be bug fixing, sometimes I'll be making new features, and sometimes the new features I make create bugs that I have to fix. Sometimes. So, <laughs> all the time. So um so I yeah I have been like switching between all of these different tasks and things. And I'm having a hard time keeping track of things, but I've been trying to make sure that our team has been um, good about putting stuff on our, tra- our task tracker software thingy that we're using. Yeah, um, which has been helpful. Yeah, that's the thing is you got you got to set. Uh, I'm doing this on, on Dreams a little right, bit. Right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Mike, one of the other developers in the project, mm-hmm. is writing a lot of content right now. Oh yeah, and so he's 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 really stress testing a lot of my generation tools. Yeah, and every time he'll find a problem, he'll he'll tell me about it in our in our our team chat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have now trained him to say like, also file it on GitHub. Yeah, or I will not do it. Right, <laughs> which, which is great. And and he's gotten. So, I mean, it didn't take him long, but okay, like, cool. It's been great because um, I do I do want to hear about them because then we can chat about right. it. Right, but also I love when he does that because then I can just like, okay, it's on my to do list. Yeah, I you know <laughs> you don't have can, to think I about can, it. It's You'll not, just see it when you have time to do a thing. Right, because a lot of times when you don't have that kind of tracking, mm-hmm. it be- everything becomes a fire alarm. Yes. Right. right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then you got to keep more and more in your head, and I'm then definitely. you forget two things, and then they get lost for it, lost forever. Exactly. And two months later, someone finds it again, and you're like, didn't we fix that or talk about it yeah. at length? And yep. Then, yep. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm dealing with the two months later part. That's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's been kind of stressful, but, like, I just got to get through this week, and then uh, it'll be good. Maybe, probably, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yep, but that's what I've been working on. Um, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about my topic, debug functionality. Because past Steven should have made a whole lot of more debug tools than he did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. So I, I basically, I'm the, the, what I want to propose with this, pose with this question mm-hmm. is what kind of the debug functionality things do we actually, do people need? in games because like when i've worked on stuff in the past it's oftentimes i'll make debug functionality for myself because i'm sick of like setting up this whole thing to get it to work um in unity but like i've also grown accustomed to kind of doing that so i will like oftentimes forego like making something that will make it easier to test things or faster to test things because like i'm used to how unity works um but now that i'm like coding for people who aren't as familiar with unity they will um they'll just kind of like start at the beginning of the game and then go through stuff when they don't have to do that yeah and i'm not necessarily telling them that because i'm not thinking to tell them that mm-hmm. um so i guess i'm like curious what y'all think what would be useful it, 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 like even just like off the cuff right now i guess what would be useful yeah. as debug functionality and then we can like talk about more of that well um mm. Ellen, I want to hear a little bit about how you handle this yeah. at your job because you have so many different stakeholders and, and folks interacting that it probably comes up a lot or it's an ongoing problem. So we'll ask you about that in a minute. I just want to say yes. my theory on this is that you want debug functionality that would replicate anything a player might do in terms of progression. Sure. Right? So you know, if you have power-ups in your game, you have you know weapons or anything like that, you want to just be able to have a menu where you can toggle them on and off. Right? Yeah, okay. And you generally want to replicate that in a process that makes sense for what the, the how you would get them in a game. So yeah. basically, you want to be able to... So Unity kind of... I think what you're talking about Unity is definitely true, where yeah. because the the sort of initial philosophy of Unity is that a scene is a level. Yeah. I think a lot of times people take that as, like, that's not... You don't always have to do it that way. Right. right? Yeah, I mean, a scene could be a prefab, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
tons of indie games are just one scene. Yeah. Right? That's really, really common. Yeah. Um, because sometimes that is a better way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, that's sort of like you can just jump in at any point. Yes. You can move your player character physically over to the middle of the level yep. before hitting the play button. Yeah. But I think that, I think the sooner you can get out of the habit of relying on that stuff, and the more you can think about how your game works, mm-hmm. um, I think the better off you'll be. And if that means like putting like spawn points that only the only you as a developer ever use or a level, yeah, so that when you hit play, then you can do keyboard shortcuts or whatever in your debug mode or like anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the more, the less you can rely on the tools that you already have, and and more rely on tools you make yourself. Yeah. Well, because I mean, the benefit of that is that you can have access to those things with like a controller or something, or on other systems. Um, as opposed to like doing it on PC or doing it in engine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do find that to be useful. Um, and I will do that when I get to the point where I'm making a switch <laughs> port. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think about doing that immediately. Right. Cause you want to be able to do those debug tools in a build, not just in the editor. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. So Ellen, here's my question now. Hey, hey. What are the challenges in the types of projects that you guys make? Um, or is it, or is it something that actually doesn't come up that much? I, I could imagine it either way. It comes up a lot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's a constant. And every time we're doing, especially, I mean, every, we're doing QA constantly. Okay. Um, so we have dedicated QA staff mm-hmm. on our team. Um, and so they're always looking through things. Um, we have, you know, a pipeline of we're working on stuff and then it gets, you know, pushed up and it gets tested on staging. Yeah. Um. So we have different environments. We have like development, we have staging, and we have production. Um, so developers are usually working on dev. They push it up to staging. It gets tested thoroughly, so thoroughly. Yeah. Um, and um, then you know when it's been fully vetted, it gets pushed to production. Cool. So on on staging, you know we're doing a lot of you know we're doing some manual testing, um, with our QA staff and. But we also do, yeah, we, we build in a lot of tools because a lot of what we're looking for um, isn't just that the games are working. The games we have on the platform are not very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, not really, not like compared to an entertainment game. Mm-hmm. But because um, because we're tracking so much player behavior and performance and results, yeah. all of the player behavior, all the game mechanics have, almost all the game mechanics interact with our um, our CMS and our reporting, um, our reporting features. Okay. So like you uh, can go on your report. If you're an admin on the platform for our customers, you can go on the report and you can see what like what Stephen McGregor scored in the Jeopardy game the last three times that he played. Right. You know? Very high. Very high. So like, <laughs> no, not high. in Jeopardy, honestly. <laughs> well, maybe our maybe our jump quiz game because. Okay. That scores based on your plat. Anyway, you're, it's, a, it's a like endless platformer. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. And I know you've got amazing platform skills. This is true. I've seen you jump a ferret around pretty crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So like you can see people's, you know, you can see people's top scores for a specific game and how they compare to their other, you know, other learners or players in that cohort. And then the last, you can like drill down to individual questions and things that and puzzles that people are trying to solve and how many attempts it took them and yeah, so we have a lot of that reporting functionality. So between the games, the reporting, and the content management system, because the writing that you have in the games is not, that's all controlled by the customers. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff to test. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is not actually game-related. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It's true. Um, so on the platform side, you know, we have those, those three stages um, or three environments for development, and we have QA staff that's testing functionality all the time. Um, usually when we're rolling out a new game feature, then I'm also in there just double checking that it's working correctly. Yeah. Um, we also have a feature that lets us, um, we have, we have live event features. So like you can host a live Jeopardy game with like at a conference. So like 500 people in a room or maybe it's 500. I know we've tested it up to a thousand people. So it's, it's difficult to get a thousand people playing the game simultaneously uh-huh. um, for testing purposes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one of the things we have done is we've run up, we've figured out to get bots to do it. Mm-hmm. So like, Oh, we'll, I say we, no, the developers well, right, I had nothing but, to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The team has figured out how to get, um, we, we basically just spin up a bunch of bots and they, we program them for a couple of different behaviors and they go through the game and they play it live. So this is a way for us to stress test the systems involved in live play um, because it's just a lot. And I think, I think a lot of our, a lot of that stuff is like on AWS. So it's like set up to automatically scale. The more people you have on the platform, the yeah. more like, can't remember the specific name for it, but like the more instances of the code like spin up so you can run things simultaneously. Anyway, there's a lot of that. A lot of it needs to be tested and I'm not involved in much of that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to doing like custom games or if we have maybe a more complex game on the platform that we need to test, uh, usually we're building in some of those shortcuts, right? So mm-hmm. like, um, because a lot of our custom games are very content driven, yeah, um, like they're very narrative driven. Usually we're creating um, kind of points in the story that make sense to jump to. Um, so you'll like jump to the end of part one. And when you do that, like you input what you want for to the score to be, yeah. um, or it, it just jumps you there with the assumption that you've scored X. Um, and then you can go from there just to see how the next phase goes and so okay. on and so forth. So okay. we build in a lot of that. Um, but we don't really need a lot of, we haven't needed a lot of like physics based debugging tools because most of our games aren't physics based. Um, yeah. So lots of content debugging. (laughs) Doing that, making (laughs) physics based debugging tools. Oh man, I'm going to have to do that. Uh, okay. I'm glad I mentioned it. Yeah, thanks. You said you wanted ideas. Yeah, yeah. But you I don't, thought you couldn't imagine. You it. <laughs> it's coming yeah. now. I can, and I don't like it. <laughs> uh, sorry, I interrupted yeah. you, Ellen. What were you, what were you saying? That was a good way to end it. We have a lot of content okay. debugging. Mm-hmm. We have well, a lot of platform debugging. Yeah, like, I I very yeah. much appreciate your take on because like I when I worked at Pixel Lakes, you know, I did I didn't really do any of the debug creation stuff, but I used some of the debugging tools to like accumulate money or something so I could buy things to test whatever it is I made. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm remembering that now, and I'm like thinking about like all of the different functionalities and stuff that we had had. Um, it does seem like for the most part, you really want to make debugging tools. Um, for things that you can't access from jump at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And this actually, I I think I want to address the term yeah. debug. Oh, yeah. Because if you're a developer and let's say you're a listener to this program mm-hmm. and you don't have a lot of experience with this term in a in a professional environment. Yeah. You might be a little confused as to why we're using this to mean this. Right, right. Yeah. Because That's it's a kind of a strange term mm-hmm. because a debugger is a is not this. Right. No. Right. Yeah. Um. I, it's I don't know how it became the I think it's just a long time ago. It's like why we 
this name. Yeah. But it's not what this is, right? These are essentially just developer for facing cheat tools. Basically, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, about. whenever you hit the. the they're uh, testing tools more than they're debugging tools. Yeah. You can debug your game with it if you're looking for a bug for some replication. Right. You know, if someone, a QA submits a bug and you need to replicate it, well, you can spin up the game and then set up the scenario as they reported mm -hmm. using your debug tools. So there's that. But generally, they're used for testing yeah. more than they are for debugging. But yes. we just we just all used to calling it that, and I guess well, yeah, we're not but, gonna solve that problem. We're but we, it we that. I mean, we also use it for debugging purposes. But it's dangerous to do that because, like, sometimes the bug can be caused because you use a debugging tool and not because the game is broken. Right. It's if it, if the player had gotten to that point naturally that you yeah. would set up, and that's why when you design these things, you have to think about like exactly how those situations, those states are set up, right? Those progression, right? You know, the player, all that stuff. Yep. And that's I think that's sort of my, uh, you know, the more you can encapsulate those things as you design, mm -hmm. the less they are dependent on each other, the easier it will be to to stitch to replicate a, a, a state of many different systems yeah. without breaking it. Yeah. Um or without coming up with something different than what a player would have gotten there naturally on their own. Right, right, right. Um and that is really challenging. Yes. Um, yes it is. It is something we did for Widget Satchel. Um yeah. in the last year of development. Um the debug tools are still in the game. You can access them. Um if you're in the pause menu and hold down the both uh shoulder buttons for I think five seconds, menu pops up. Uh, so have yeah. at it. <laughs> cool, cool. I think I had a little a switch where if you're in, if you're in the editor, if you're in the uh, you're in the Unity editor, you only have to just press the the tr the trigger or the the bumpers. Yeah. But if you're but in a build, you have to hold it five seconds. I just didn't want to remove them, and I didn't want to make up two versions of the thing. Yeah. I, I was like, if somebody finds it good for them, mm -hmm. um, that's another thing. I mean, it's why you can do God mode in Doom or whatever. Right. It's because it's like, why make two versions of the game? Yeah. Um, just sort of obscure it a little bit. If someone finds it good for them. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um. I don't remember, did either of you use those tools that much? Because it was probably late in the game. Um, it's the last year, but that was still pretty late. No, I definitely didn't. Because I just, I, when I was playing it, I would just play it through Unity and I would just make whatever it is I needed to make. Yeah. Test things. Yeah. So I don't think I did mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, like I said, I just have that habit, which I think is problematic when I'm making tools for other people and they don't have that habit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. The thing that, that helped me a lot when I was sort of just using it to, do sort of final checks. Mm -hmm. So like, okay, what happens in level four if you only have this much or you have all you have this mm -hmm. many widgets? Yeah. Can you make it through this section? I was yeah. using it to test um essentially for soft locks. Yeah. Um in the yeah. game. Um yep. I, I don't think I was able to sort of test every possible scenario, but right. I but I thought I think I tested the most likely ones and made the changes I needed to make. Mm -hmm. Um either this because there are lots of areas in the game that we des are designed to not be reachable. Yes. If the player is in a certain state. Right. Right. That's the Metroidvania sort of part of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, not just mm -hmm. about collecting new abilities, but like, you know, a combination of things can actually lock you off from something. Yeah. So you have to do things in a certain order. Yeah. That's all by design. It's sort of the meta puzzle in Witch's Satchel. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. so I was designing it for what, ha what, does the play what happens when the player reaches that? Is that a natural experience? Do they know that why they can't reach there? Or does it feel, and I kind of had to do a lot of, because you couldn't do a lot of playtesting that sort of thing. Right. You couldn't get that up and then hand it to someone and say, what does this feel like? Yeah. They'd be like, I don't know, I've never played this game before. Right, yeah. Like, yeah. what's it supposed to be? <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a lot of, you have to kind of go on your own sense of uh, player empathy. Like, yep. what would I feel like if I had not, if I would gotten here by, uh, uh, you know, and so you you could, you have to just cross your fingers and hope you, hope you got it right. It's hard to yeah. do that. It's, it's a UX problem too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also testing things like, oh, okay, so if I'm in this point, I'm sort of feeling like soft locked, but in a way that's not fun. It's not part of the meta puzzle. So now I need to find a way around it. So what's the way around it? Do I change the way the level is designed? But then that also, now I need to test the seven other different conditions the right. player character can be in. Yeah. And I could do all that pretty quickly Yeah. Um, in the debug menu by adding and removing doohickeys, changing the widget count just at will, 
um, and uh, going to different levels and going to the individual checkpoints within levels. Mm-hmm. Um, that was all a pretty quick process. Yeah. So that was really, really valuable. And I'm, I think all the time I spent putting it together, um, the, the debug functionality, and then all the, uh, and then I was subtracting all the time I saved, and I think it was a net positive. Yeah. But like, I wasn't doing a lot of time tracking sure, right. on, on that yeah, project. That's fair. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think every platformer needs this for sure. Yeah. Needs the go-to level, add power up, change coin count, yep. they, they change level, like all of that. You just need to be able to have full access to those things, right? Um, without having to go into the Unity inspector, yeah. and change those values right. because that is the messiest way to do it. And when you have your own tools for it, then you can have all the right um, signals and all the right callbacks that happen when those events happen. So it can all, it can all be part of the natural thing. So when you mm-hmm. get, you know, if you set, oh, I'm going to give the Mario 100 coins, you, well, is that going to trigger the extra life thing? Yeah. Or do you have to actually have the, you have to have a function, you know, add one coin when it's 99 that does it. So that's when you think about how you design your code yeah. is to, to facilitate debug functionality. Yeah. Right. And so ultimately, you do want to have your own tools, however you build your thing, so you're not constrained by how you build your thing. Because I have definitely done things where, like, oh, I, I'm, if you change it in the inspector, I'll put it in on validate, so it'll recognize that. But I can't have it there all the time because that's not code that should run yeah. normally because it's changing, it's changing a mutable value, and you're not really supposed to do that in on validate. Yeah. It's just supposed to validate va- things, but I'm doing it anyway. And then I have all these like conditionals and file arguments. I'm like, yep. or I could just make my own tool to do this. Yep. You know. Yep. Instead of relying on the Unity Inspector's UI to do stuff, you get really trapped in the fact that it's built for you already. Mm-hmm. He's calling um. me out. He's calling me out, chat. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, he's calling me out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a lot of what I have done. Um, and yeah, and so I like I'm trying to. Well, I don't know that I'm doing a great job of breaking that habit, and I can't really break that habit right now because we're in the middle of stuff. But um, I did make a bunch of debug tools um, for the version of the game like a year ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're using some of those and those have been useful because like and then I had actually had to make that's part of the thing that was why I don't like making debug functionalities I have to maintain it even if it's not a thing yeah. I want to do yes or I use um, and that was the fault on widget satchel is that yeah. I made it too late for anyone other but me to get a lot of use out of it really. yeah you know uh, I suppose that's fair yeah. the earlier you can make it the better but that also yeah. means it has to be part of your system architecture right not just your code architecture but like how your design works like yep and it has to be flexible so like when you change a lot of things a year into production mm-hmm. debug tools can adapt yeah. You know, it doesn't mean they're not going to change. It shouldn't lock you into anything. Right. But you should be able to, you know, if you're designing a little UI for it, like leave space. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's the thing is like I didn't, oh, the, the, ignoring the UI stuff because I did make a little bit of UI for it, but um, not like actually good looking UI, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no one assumed that. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm still like using a lot of these old things and I had to like re, I had to update it to like new spawnings and stuff that we, yeah. how I changed how things work because past me had an idea that we had to do it this way. And then uh, a year later, I'm like, actually you should have just did it this way and it makes way more sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm kicking myself for doing it. Anyways. <laughs> well, without knowing exactly the, 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 the pickle you put yourself in. Sure. That's one reason why when you're debug functionality, when you're building in the, in the code level, yeah. to have one extra layer of abstraction, mm. to have a function of this is what I want to do, yeah. and then have it... Right. So we, when you click the button that says, like, add life, to I will give the player one more life, right. you want that button to, to trigger a debug add player life method. Yeah. And then inside there is where you tell it how to interact with your game. Yeah. Right? The, 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 your tools, your debug tools should be 
a, a layer on top of everything else. Yep. It should only inter- it should not directly interact with your own. That I have done for the most part. That so that when you change it, you just change the contents of debug add life rather yeah. than have to change what the button does. Yeah. And the, so the tools oh, don't yeah. have to change that much. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, especially because the way buttons work in Unity is annoying because it doesn't tell you when you're calling a function in uh, in code in a button. It's annoying. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I appreciate this. This makes me feel a little bit more uh, comfortable with the idea of making debug functionality. Yeah. Um, also, I suppose I should. <laughs> yay. Um, also, I suppose <laughs> I should uh, uh, ask people what they need ahead of time instead of just assuming people can figure it out. <laughs> um, yeah. That was probably my first mistake. <laughs> we should do a follow up on this to yeah. hear how you resolve some of this yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And I also want to talk yeah. about the stuff I'm building for uh, Dream Settler. Yeah. Know. They got a tool called the Wandle Prober. Oh my goodness! And if anyone wants what? to look up the term Wandle Probe means, you'll get an idea of yep. what, what it is, because um, it's designed Wandle. to do that. Wandle. You don't have to do it now. <laughs> I'm saying. No, I'm doing it now. Oh, okay, L- listeners can do do it now, but I think we can probably move on. Yes. <laughs> Stephen. Yes. Give me ten dollars. Uh, five dollars. F- five dollars. Uh, give me two dollars and fifty cents. Um, I give me like a dollar, man. Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe why? Because <laughs> we need to fund this show. Oh, that's true. We do need to do that. Okay. I would just like you to give me that money right now. Um. Okay. Well, you know, it's not that much money, so I think I can root around in my wallet and see if I can find five or two. 50 or $10. Okay, and then we'll split that the three ways. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then put some back in the production of the show. Yep. And you know, it doesn't actually add... You know what we should be doing? Yeah, what should we do? We should be asking listeners for dollars. That makes way more sense. Okay, why don't you do it? Okay, yeah, listeners, uh, can you give us 250 or $5 or $10? Uh, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash nicegamesclub, and we'd appreciate it. Thank you. What are they going to get out of it, though, Stephen? Oh. Now, see, now I'm skeptical. What? Twist. Why should they do that? Well, you get ad-free episodes. You get exclusive content. Um, it's great. And it's not that expensive, yeah. I'd like to think. But in the end, there's one real good reason why you'd want to do it. Ellen, what's that one real good reason? You want to support the show and help us keep getting guests and doing jams. Yeah. Yeah. So do that. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Alan, you have a topic. I do. Are we ready to start? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Guys. Yes. What does Polish mean? Not not Polish. Not the nationality. Right. Spelled okay. the same way. Okay. Real what quick, is it? because you opened the door. When I was at the Toronto Film Festival. Oh, no. <laughs> I saw a Polish film called The Green Border. Uh-huh. It's so good. Is it? That's all I'll say. Look okay. it up. The Green Border. The Green Border. Okay. Yeah. The Green Border. Green. And Wandel Probe. <laughs> you know what? So you don't have to Google it, listeners. We'll link it in the show notes. We'll Google it for you. We're so kind. Um, so Probably yes. won't save you any clicks, but whatever. Right. Uh-huh. What is what is polish? You ask. It's like a know it if you see it kind of thing. It is. Like, 
Uh, for from a per- player perspective, it is. Yeah, I think from a developer perspective, mm. it's probably something else. Well, but it's a oh yeah, it's a broad adjective mm-hmm. and verb and noun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that I I would have a hard time. Yeah, pinning down because it can be used in a lot of different contexts. Yeah. So okay. So arguably, the position that um, our project is in right now is in the polished state. It's not fully in the polished state, and it should be, but it's fine. <laughs> um. But effectively, what we're doing is we're taking some of the stuff that we've made and we're refining it to make it better by like adding little tweaks and things or adding additional visual flourishes or something like that. Um, that's how I would oftentimes describe polish is if something is unpolished, it means that like they put in the work to implement the thing, but they didn't fully think that thing through or they didn't fully add enough like visual stuff or audio stuff or things like that to make it feel good. That's kind of how I would describe it mm-hmm. a lot of times in video games. Well, you run up against a couple of things where you, yeah. you're now pinning it down like polish is graphics and audio yeah. and visuals, right? Right. When it, well, it, it I, isn't I, always. Right? Yeah. It, the, yeah. Game mechanics can also be polished. And I think that like uh, a game mechanic that is not polished, I think of it in terms of things that are not this. I yeah. think that kind of helps me. Um, games mechanics that are not polished are game mechanics that you can tell are implemented and like people wanted it in. But, like, it has not been fully thought through. So, like, there's still some edges. There's still some rough things going on about it mm-hmm. that, like, people will brush up against in a way that is not interesting or fun. Um, that's very broad. But I don't know how to describe it, like, better than that because it's game design and, like, game design can be kind of anything. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess that's kind of how I, that's how I would describe it. Is that a satisfactory answer for you, Ellen? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I no, spent all this I mean, time. I'm excited where this was, is going. I was going to say no because yeah. like that was only like five minutes and we're supposed to talk for a bit longer. <laughs> okay. But also it just wasn't like because wh- I hear it used in so many different contexts and sure. you kind of touched on that when you were talking about like what it is. Yeah. It's basically like, oh yeah, like you've got some parts, like the basic parts of the game down and now you're refining it. Yeah. What are you refining? Oh, all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's the, ga- yeah. the game. Yeah, and the game is everything. The game is the rules. The game can be the interactivity, right. like like with your platform or your device. The game can be the art. The game can be the writing. The game can be the story. The game could be the proofreading. Yeah, all of those things it could be literally anything. Yep. Yeah. So, so I want a definition that's like more helpful than literally anything. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. <laughs> you know, got, got you. Yeah, you did. You did. So maybe maybe I can reframe the question in okay. a more specific way, and sure. that'll help us get to a more specific answer. And how I have not landed on. I'm think I'm doing a lot of thinking out loud right now that's because funny. it's just been something right. that I've been Ellen, sitting. Ellen annoying, gets off like, the hook because she is like, "What is this?" I'm off the hook because I'm like, "It's what whatever you think it is," and you're on the hook because you gave it gave it a shot. <sighs> that's what I get. Yep. Never try. I should have known that by now. Oh. <laughs> how are you? Yeah. How are you going to reframe the question? Ellen? Well, I mean, I can jump on Mark for it, but the, the <laughs> you know the length of me jumping on Mark is psh, try harder. <laughs> I'm perfectly comfortable being in the hot seat. That's fine. No, I've got an answer yeah. to that. Oh, okay. No, you. <laughs> okay. Dang. No us. No. Okay. So let me try. Let's let's try reframing the question and see yeah. if that helps us out. Yeah. Right. So like, I guess the question is. When you get to the point in a project where someone starts bringing up polish as a task. Yes. Right? Like, or a group of tasks or a type of work that needs to be done. Yes. 
what things are you no longer doing for your project? Oh, that's a good question. Um, though, yeah, you're not you're not implementing new features. I think you're not making a lot of choices at that stage. Yes, uh, in, a, of any kind. That's good. That's a good way. Right. So if you're polishing up the audio, yeah, you're basically enriching the what it currently exists. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, we have um, sound probes in and and sort of echo spaces in this 3D game. Yeah. I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna. We've already decided. We've made choices how we want it to sound. Yeah. I'm gonna just tweak it so that it does that job better. Right. Yeah. Right. Or it's yeah. like. Oh, you know what? I'm going to be, uh, we're doing this little platforming section and um, it's not quite feeling great as you go through it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tweak the positions a little bit so this jump is a little bit easier because yep. we want it to be hard, but we realize that it's it's being, it's too technically difficult. It doesn't feel difficult. Yep. yep. I'm going to tweak that, but I'm not making any choices at that stage. Yes. I'm just, you, I mean, you'll choose how you Implement. You're not making any major significant choices. I'm like. not I not even minor ones. Okay. You're you're making incidental choices. Sure, yes, stage, yes, yes. I believe. So, I like that. Yeah, uh, that's that's the shot I took at this. <laughs> this I think is cool, you're, cool. you're done choosing, you're just yeah. working. Mhm. I like that a lot. Of course you'd like Mark's better. Um. <laughs> well, no, Steven, Steven, you said a well, Steven Mark said his after uh-huh. yours and yeah. then explained it. Well, yeah. mine gets what to be yours aspirational again? and yours gets to be practical. Right? Yeah, that's y- true. Yours sounds like what people would actually do. <laughs> so I think you still you still get more points than me on that ang- from that angle. So okay. I feel bad. All right, I got points. <laughs> yeah, Mark's is a more academic answer, yeah. which I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Stephen, I can like yours and it can be different. Yeah. I'll put both of your drawings on the fridge, you guys. Thank you. That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> No, I, I I do agree with Mark. I think that is a, a good way of phrasing it. Is that like you, you're getting to a point where you're not making decisions that are of any significance. They just improve things, mm-hmm. um, and like not in ways that like how do you? No, I'm making it more complicated now. Well, you're not solving problems anymore. Yes, you're not solving problems anymore. That's the way to yes, that's yeah. the way to describe it. Oh, yeah. okay, right. So when you're saying, I think Stephen, you were saying like you're no longer adding features. Yes, or doing the work of implementing a feature. You are refining the feature, and I, you're not nec- I think I misspoke a little bit because, like, well, yeah, okay. no, I don't know that. Like, you wouldn't, I wouldn't describe adding rumble to a game as polish. That's a feature still. That's something you still haven't added to the game. I think that's a contextual threshold. Sure, but right. I mean, like, if you have, mm-hmm. if you've literally not added any rumble to the game, and now you're adding rumble to the game, that's a feature. But if you're like adding yeah. rumble to when you jump or punch a thing or whatever, that's that's polish. Well, this is why I say it's contextual. If yes. Rumble is not that important to you, mm, yeah, and it doesn't really matter that much, yeah, and it's just there to like in- improve the experience a little bit, yeah, then you could call that polish. Okay. I mean, I I would like not in no game I work on would allow that threshold to be that sure, sure. low, but okay. um, you could add things, but as long as they don't engage or solve problems, or you know, yeah, um, you could still call that polish. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you that generally, I think it would be good practice to put that above the threshold. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. As in, as in, it's above the threshold. You should be thinking because... more about it and making more decisions about it. Yeah. But I could see an indie developer who has no time at all being like, all right, I'm yeah. just going to like add the, you know, the plugin that engages the Rumble API for this controller. Mm. And I'm just going to say when you land, it has a 0.5 or whatever. I'm just going to be done with it. And that's the polish I'm adding okay. to the platforming. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's a little bit too high and mighty of anybody to like criticize that developer 
for oh. for calling that polish okay. or for not making more choices about it okay. because we all constrained on time and resources yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But I would say that like in an ideal world, that's something that you would probably say that is feature. You want to do more design surrounding right. it. Um, and I would generally aspire always to do that. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure I don't put my foot on the ground and say like that is that is a that is always such sure because yeah. it's it has contextual right yeah contextual by project yeah and that's kind of more what I was looking for right I wasn't like you're never gonna f- it's game development you're never gonna find like a rule that's gonna apply to all games right. because yeah. all games are so different from one another True that. so I was really more looking for like the kind of definitions you guys are both providing <laughs> thank you <laughs> um. Yeah, like definitions that are more like, okay, so, but how do I take this term and how it's being defined and use it to think uh, in a more nuanced way about my, nuanced and helpful way about my own project. Yeah. And I'm thinking of the way that we're talking about polish right now is actually something that you can use to kind of like filter your backlog of stuff. You have this like ever evolving list of things and ideas for your game and you I might be in a phase where you're still adding new features and you're like, eh, this is like, I think it's this rumble is meh here and it's, oh, it's good here, but eh, you know, mm-hmm. like that might be something you decide depending on your game and your team and your timeline and your number of hours you have free in the evenings. You might decide that that's going to be part of your polish. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, you know, if you're one team of many on a very large project, that might be the very thing that you're supposed to be working on. Yeah. And so you are going to be looking at tweaking it and such and playtesting it even before you get to the polish stage. It's, it's dependent on the game. Yeah. That's an interesting question is, is should games generally, it's good practice mm. that they have a polish stage oh. for the whole project or broadly for big sections of the project? Or is it something you engage with as you go? Uh, Good question. Um, oh gosh, that's kind of that's the thing I always brush up against is that kind of idea because like I feel like you should just do it at the end, because mm-hmm. um, then you'll have everything figured out, and then you're just making things feel better and look better and whatever else. Um, but it does the polish. These kinds of polish things do impact how the game feels as you're testing things, yeah. and it makes it difficult. It makes it difficult for some folks, myself included, to um, determine if something like works in a way that is fun or interesting or good. Um, so I think you probably should do it as you go. But I hate saying that because I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm on the flip side of you now. Okay, because that is something I do. I, like I'm very much I evolve as I go person. Mm-hmm. When I write, I edit as I go. Yeah. Um, when I, I refactor my code all the time. Yeah. It's very. I'm always in that mode. Yeah. And I'm also very comfortable. I've talked about this with code in the past. Mm. I'm very comfortable doing something very specifically and minutely to because that feeling is important, right? Yeah. But I'm also very comfortable knowing that that might not survive. Sure. And okay. that effort might be wasted. And so what the what it does me is it provides me the information I need rather than actually completing the work, right? Mm. So it's not a practical way of working. Okay. But I would also say that there's something really I think valuable about thinking of a polished stage, yeah, which is not to my instinct, sure. but I think it's helpful because it's when you you can because it prevents you from working on something and then oh it's then making major cho- decisions that yeah. start un- unwinding things. Yes, because it can be especially for indie development when you if you have no schedule or if you're a solo developer, mm-hmm. it can be really easy to polish your way to a new feature. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. yeah, or create a bunch of things and then really like get 
really honed in on it and then suddenly all the things around it no longer fit with it anymore mm-hmm. but it feels great mm-hmm. well then suddenly testing it's going to be so difficult because every, the, the gulf between and even even you as a developer have a hard time imagining how to close that gulf yeah and so i mean we've seen this a lot in you know if you do like like white bo- uh, white box level design testing yeah and then you have have you ever seen um some states sometimes you'll see a bunch of like props that are really because they're from an asset library or something, mm, mm-hmm. and it'll just look weird. Yeah, <laughs> like more than just mm-hmm. like a, a, you know something more generic in, in uh, uh, level props. Yeah, or a really uh, defined character model. Yeah, and then the environment is really generic. That's more dissociative than if both were such, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I think for a big project, you get some benefits out of kind of moving the ship all at the same time, moving together. Yeah, and having that polished stage. Yeah, but again, not to my instinct. I don't work that way. But that also means that I tend to, I'll get bogged down with something, but I try to remember to move on to something else before that thing gets too far ahead of everything else. Um, yeah. And so you have to kind of check yourself. So I'm, I'm kind of feeling the opposite of you, like where it's like, I know that I, the advantages of sort of polishing as you go. Yeah. But I, I have also fallen into the pits, yeah. pitfalls of those. Of I mean, that's that. fair. Uh, I'm not really seeing, I'm not really seeing your two answers as mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. Because like- it's it it is iterative, and that is one way you can look at it. Is are you like have a really rough rock, and you want to make it a smooth, shiny rock? Mm-hmm. You don't just like shine up one side of the rock, right? There's like a name for that, and then what flip it? it over. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Good, go on. Wait, do we have to Google another thing? No, <laughs> Mark was making a bad joke. <laughs> Anyways, no, I thought you were making a joke, Ellen. Oh, <laughs> wait, am I making a joke? Yeah. What do you do when you're smoothing a rock? What's yeah. that process called? Polishing. <laughs> oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> so let's say you're All doing right, that. Well, so let's say you're doing let's that. Say yeah. you're, let's say you're, instead of polishing a game, you're going back to the roots of polishing, polishing up a rock. Uh-huh, right? yep. You're going to make that rock shiny. Yes, you are. You don't, you don't shine one side of the rock and then the other side of the rock. Or if you do, you're flipping it over frequently so that you're keeping it kind of like even right or you know you're throwing it in a tumbler and it mixes all up at the same time and it's doing it all at once yeah i guess even in the tumbler it's tumbling it's flipping over right so to to continue that analogy um maybe polishing can be a phase but if you don't necessarily want to approach it only as a phase it's something that you can kind of like continually do as part of like your feedback cycle right like you have an idea for a thing you think about how you're going to implement the thing you implement the thing, you reflect on what you implemented, mm-hmm. and then you decide if you need to polish it further now to get more insights from it, which brings you back around the circle, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I think that what I'm hearing here is that it, it is definitely something that you're thinking about throughout a project, Yeah. Um, but it isn't something where you want to get too focused on polishing it without bringing all the other parts of the game up to a similar level of smooth smoothness. Because if you just like, it just feels weird when you pick up a rock and it's not uniformly smooth or rough. You got like one really smooth patch. It's like, what is, what is this? Mm-hmm. Well, um, a half polished yeah. rock is a half polished rock. That is its yeah. own yeah. thing. Yeah. It's not the thing yeah. you're making. Yeah, And so that can yeah. be really, can, can contaminate your experience with yes. it, right? Right. Right. People don't look at the rock. They look at the polished spot. Right. That's a choice you didn't make, but it's reflected in the product mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the middle yeah. of it, which is 
yeah, it can be distracting. It's a good yep. metaphor. Yep, it is a mm. good metaphor. That's why we use. I guess that's why we use the word. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. I do like where we landed on this. It's just like, <laughs> oh, duh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like rocks. Yeah. Polish. Uh, it's rocks. It's great. Hey, that's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on social media at Nice Games Club, where Dale posts about game dev resources and mountains out of molehills. It's a board game. Reply on the various platforms or email us contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff, including ad-free episodes. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be doing a Nice Games Jam, the last one of the year. But that's it for this week. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Oh, hey, Mark here at the end of the show. Uh, no end of show funnies this uh, week because there was uh, really just way too much of it. Um, a couple weeks ago, Ellen saved a really nice long outtake from episode 330 and wanted to save it for the Patreon. So I thought, well, hey, there's a bunch here. Uh, I'll take these and put them there as well. That's right. It's a stealth pitch for the Patreon. Over 10 minutes of outtakes um, from this episode in 330 um, that are really good because they're funny. Yes, but also some behind-the-scenes stuff of how we make the show kind of snuck in there. has a little bit of a theme going on. Uh, a couple of highlights. There's a story about my cousin and regional etymology, a false start to this episode, a full explanation of my Wandel Prober uh, that I refused to give in this episode. Uh, I said it anyway, and we cut it out, and it's on the Patreon. Uh, also, we get Ellen singing both the transition sting and the bluer theme, as well as a discussion about how good she is at it, which you've got to hear. And a little bit of a behind the scenes on how we uh, put together uh, our little sketches for the middle of the show. Um, you know, we sort of mostly improvise them, but sometimes we do a little bit of planning, a little chatting, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And you can get some insight uh, from uh, this outtake uh, that is only on the Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. We really, really appreciate it. You heard it earlier in the show. We did our actual pitch for it. Matters a lot to us that we get that support. It keeps the show running. It means a lot that you care. And so desperate pitch, but heartfelt one. Uh, I hope you'll go check it out because it allows us to take that silly stuff and, you know, make it useful. Check it out again. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club.